I'd like to thank my sponsors, Celsius, Equus, and Round the X for making this episode possible. Stay tuned later in the episode for more info. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast. Today's guest is an entrepreneur, author, and the undisputed king of controversial hot takes. With his unique thoughts on history, politics, and race, Hotep has garnered the attention from Fox News, Joe Rogan, Vice, and more. I intend to dig deep today into what makes him tick, his thoughts on politics and race in America, and why he's seemingly taken the red pill and exited the matrix. I'm also really interested in where he thinks Bitcoin fits into, into the equation, of course. Hotep Jesus, man, thank you so much for uh, coming on and taking the time. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Scott. Yeah, of course. So before we get into the questions, I have to remind everyone once again, this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast. I'm your host, Scott Melker. And twice a week, we talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, trading, art, music, sports, and politics. The show is powered by Blockworks Group, a media company with over 20 podcasts in their network. You can check them out at blockworksgroup.io. And if you follow the podcast, follow me on Twitter, then you should definitely check out my website newsletter. That's at thewolfofallstreets.io. And that is it for that part. So, man, I got to ask you, did you earn yourself uh, free coffee for life at Starbucks or, or what? <laughs> uh, I wish. <laughs> I'm having some, um, I'm having a, a cappuccino from the Bucks right now, actually. So, man, tell me the Starbucks story, because I know that that went hugely viral. I saw you were on Fox News talking about it. I mean, crazy. What was that about? Uh, trolling. You know, nice little prank. Uh, I saw that some gentlemen had some real legit issues uh, with uh, a Starbucks experience. Police were called on them, um, which is something that's not out of the ordinary when you're black in America. But the response to it, I felt, was um, hyperbolic. Uh, to say the least. And I was just like, oh, it's not that serious. Like, it's a problem that we're accustomed to. But, you know, the 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 huge uproar, I was just like, wow, is it really that serious? So um, I took advantage of it and turned it into uh, a media opportunity. And prior to that, um, there's two predictions I made. I said, um, is there a possibility that, uh, you know, I could get on Fox News? And uh, the other uh, thing uh, it turned out to be a prediction was I said, if you follow a liberal narrative, um, they'll push you to the uh, upper ranks of society and give you high visibility. And both of those things came to be true with my stunt. That's interesting. Like, were you a fan of Fox News or it was more like just a challenge to obviously well, get yourself exposure there? I, I knew that I wasn't welcome at the left wing media. Um, pretty much blackballed. Um, so my only hope to get any mainstream visibility and to reach the homes of America was through Fox News. It was the last place that I could possibly be welcome to <laughs> and have a voice at. So that's why I took aim at it. That's a really crazy story. So, I mean, how did this all start? Obviously, like everybody sort of grows into their, like I said, I mentioned, you know, you've said you take the red pill, you kind of detach from the matrix, you have this grand awakening. How did that all happen for you? Because I think it comes at different points in different people's lives or most likely never, right? I mean, most mm. people just never get there. Yeah. Um, so uh, I like to say I was born Hotep. You know, my dad had given me... Um, a lot of material to read. Some of them was on the, uh, the AIDS conspiracy. Um, and, uh, my father was ex military. Um, ex, he was an in intelligence section of the military. So there were stories he would tell me that, 
pretty much expanded my mind. And he basically, at a very early age, planted the seeds that what you see in the media is not exactly real. What you understand about this world and what's popular to understand about this world is not real. So he planted those seeds real early. Now, the specifics of it all, um, I've taken to another level uh, with my studies. But I think, you know, some contributing things were like Alex Jones um, contributed to the Red Pill, uh, a documentary by the uh, uh, called The Ring of Power contributed greatly. And uh, the documentary Zeitgeist and um, some 9-11 documentaries and things, you know, uh, kind of just took me to the next level of of the red pill and then there's higher levels to that i always find it interesting where you draw the line not you specifically but an individual draws the line on what is like acceptable conspiracy theory and what is just like going too far because obviously like some things we see are true right i mean i'm not saying in the media necessarily some things are true some things are obviously false how do you discern you know what you view as truth and what you view as conspiracy um, well, uh, I don't know if, uh, conspiracy is the antithesis to truth you know, there right. are, uh, you know, conspiracy and then there's conspiracy so-called theory. Um, but there are in fact conspiracies, uh, and that is truth. Um, now what you decipher as truth has to be, uh, extrapolated from the studies, For example, when we talk about socialism and communism, some people would describe socialism as uh, the workers having uh, owning the means of production. And then when I try to think that through logistically, it seems like a large nightmare, because how does a group of people manage uh, resources without some sort of centralized planning, which led me to the realization that socialism and communism can be uh, succinctly defined as centralization of power. So, you know, nobody taught me that it was me asking, hey, how can I read up? How can I learn more about socialism? I go and study the Russian Revolution, um, which is probably the dawn of modern socialism and communism. And I created that definition on my own for for what I know to be true. Uh, For example, they um, in I believe it was the uh, Communist Manifesto. push for uh, centralized banking. Uh, no, actually, no, it's not the Communist Manifesto. It's Lenin. Lenin is the one who uh, said that, uh, you know, I think he said 90% of communism requires uh, uh, installing a central bank, which supports my argument that socialism and communism is basically just centralization of power. So truth, truth, there's, there's accepted truth, and then there's your own truth. Uh, what is accepted truth? You have to read the room and, 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 and kind of see what that is. And you can kick the bee's nest sometimes. You'll see, you tweet something and you'll quickly find out that's not acceptable. There are certain things uh, when you speak to a conservative crowd that are acceptable and unacceptable and same thing with liberals, obviously it's a lot easier to offend liberals and progressives and socialists than it is to um, offend uh, conservatives because there are just more things that offend uh, liberals. It's not really hard. With conservatives, there are things you can do to kick the beast nest over there as well. It's just much easier to kick the beast nest than liberals. So, you know, that's why I think Twitter is powerful. Me having a large platform is powerful because I can tweet something and then quickly read the room and say, oh, okay, this is, you know, here's what I've studied. Here's what I found to be true. And, you know, let me throw this into the piranha tank 
and see who bites. <laughs> and then you can um, read those reactions and, 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 and see uh, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. It's interesting as a trader, like I view sentiment as a huge part of the information that I use, obviously, to, as you said, to gauge the room, to decide where price is likely to go. I mean, every time I look at a chart, I'm looking at it and thinking, where are people going to be scared? Where are people going to be greedy? You know what I mean? And it sounds like that's kind of how you treat Twitter and people is like you might throw out a hot take, like I mentioned in the intro or something that, you know, you're just trying to gauge the reaction and see what's going to happen, right? It may not even be fully what you believe. You just want to see how people are going to respond to it. Is that true? Um, partly. Um, what I tweet is what I believe. Right. Um, I don't, I don't feign anything. Um, it's just that, um, Sometimes I know what's going to kick the bee's nest, but it all started from accidentally kicking the bee's nest. I'm like, oh, look, I found this piece of information. This is so cool. Let me share. And then you share it. And it's just like, rah. And it's just like, oh, wait. Okay. I'll, you guys don't like that. All right. Yeah, I wasn't allowed to say it. I didn't know you felt so um, adamant about that. For example, um, if I want to kick the bee's nest with the right, all I have to do is just type in, I love reparations, right? <laughs> or I want my <laughs> reparations. And they're going to be like, oh, no, you don't need reparations. And it's just like, oh, okay. So, you know, as a black person, um, you, you, you have to stick to the talking points when you're with the right and you have to stick to the talking points when you're with the left. So there is this um, accepted truth and then uh, the, uh, your own self-truth. And what you choose to share is going to shape people's perception of you. And uh, by what you share, you can use that perception to your advantage or disadvantage. Yeah, we but talked about, I, tweet, I believe. Yeah, we, we talked about, obviously, your feelings on socialism and communism. Hmm. But what are your feelings on the two-party system in general? Because, you know, a lot of people would argue, obviously, they're kind of flip sides of the same coin. It's all the same sort of uh, big machine. Should there be a third party? Should we not have a two-party system? Do you think that people should be able to blindly associate with one or the others, all of their beliefs. You know, I find it very hard to put myself in a basket of the comprehensive beliefs of either side personally. Mm, yeah. Uh, I can loosely be described as an anarcho-capitalist. So I, I don't like any parts of the government. I don't think the state should exist at all. Um, so both parties to me are complete and utter trash. Uh, but I think there's, um, I think there's, uh, uh, upper level and there's a lower level, right? Like there's the establishment right and left, and then there's the people right and left. Um, I'm much more closely aligned and more empathetic to the woes of the right or conservatives. Um, I'm probably more in alignment with libertarians, right. but you know, people have been snubbed by the libertarian party. So I don't like any of these parties. Um, what I think people should think about is uh, a piece of history where uh, there was uh, a third party that emerged and, and almost won an election. I can't remember what year. I have to go back through my studies and, and, and find it. But there was an anti-Freemason party that mm -hmm. became really popular because the people at that time understood that both parties were controlled by uh, Freemasonry. So they wanted somebody who wasn't of that cult or cabal uh, and, 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 and uh, exclusive group of people. So when I look at the two parties, I don't see the past being much different than the present in that regards, because uh, both of these groups are essentially controlled by the people with the money, uh, whatever class that may be.
how do we change it? Uh, well, Andrew Breitbart says um, politics is downstream from culture. So if you want to change anything in this country, you have to change the culture. I think a lot of it has to deal with um, uh, uh, practicing empathy. For example, uh, the left has many legitimate gripes um, and socialists have many legitimate gripes. I think where socialists go wrong is with uh, their solutions for these problems. Um, but I think where the right goes wrong is with, um, or both sides really, uh, they go wrong. They're not tolerant of opposing opinions. There's no empathy. There's no sympathy. There's no humanity. Um, the left definitely doesn't have any humanity left, but there's no listening, right? You know, so when I speak to a leftist, the first thing I want to do is find all the places where we align and start from there. It seems that when we have these conversations, um, first of all, I mean, the left is is quite visceral uh, in their reactions to everything. So um, when you're dealing with emotional people, you'll have to first um, practice empathy and then you can kind of pull them to your side and, and, and position yourself as an ally as opposed to an enemy. And then, and then when they see that, hey, look, this guy isn't an enemy. He's not here to combat me. He really wants to learn and understand this. And then we can find some sort of common ground. We can kind of move from there. Uh, the problem is that the right is basically uh, a reaction to the left. The left controls uh, all the conversations. Uh, you know, if the left is talking about abortion, the right is going to talk about abortion. If the left is talking about Trump, the right is going to talk about uh, Trump. So the the left is 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 playing uh they're like alex trebek <laughs> and the right are the the contestants and and they're reacting to whatever alex trebek says the topics we're going to discuss are and and that's the problem you know and that's kind of like where hotep's different where you know we we know uh what we're trying to do there's a mantra uh, amongst us called hotep and build so you know we focus on technology and building startups and, and economics and finance. So when you deal with us, you already know uh, what what our goals are and 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 what our mission and what our agenda is. Whereas the right, it's it's kind of like their mission is uh, whatever is in juxtaposition to whatever the left is. <laughs> it's like, well, I think what 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 means a lot to you is like two way and family. So. I would just hammer home on those those two points. But to get back to the Andrew Breitbart point about culture, I think people have to really check the, the culture of their family um, and then their culture of behavior online. I know the left is going to act like two-year-olds and sometimes the right feeds into that. Um, the one thing about a two-year-old is you, you never want to feed into their emotions because when you feed into their emotions, you validate them. Uh, and And the right does a poor job of um, validating that. I mean, well, they do a great job of validating that. And, and I think that's a, a poor decision. I think the right should just stick to, uh, what they believe to be true, uh, their religion and Christianity, their family, um, and, and, and stick to those talking points and, and, and control the conversation instead of letting the left control the conversation. Where's the name Hotep come from? Uh, it was given to us. <laughs> um, the, the actual definition means to be at peace, rest, satisfaction. Um, I'm a student of Shaka Akmos, uh, a Nile Valley movement. And uh, so for us, Hotep was um, 
uh, a greeting. Uh, and then uh, right around the time Mike Brown, Trayvon Martin, and all of them died, um, Black Lives Matter emerged. Uh, um, third wave feminism became stronger uh, and it became much stronger amongst black people and black women. So around that time, um, I, I, I sympathize with the death of Mike Brown, the death of Trayvon Martin and Tamir Rice. And I saw that as a, an ongoing problem in America. Uh, I think where the road forked was in the solutions to the problem. For example, I remember tweeting, hey, guys, we should boycott the NFL. And I was lambasted and ostracized for the idea of that. And here we are years later and everybody's taking aim at the NFL uh, post-Kaepernick, right? And I said things like, hey, let's boycott Nike, Um, you know, because they're in the pockets of China. I've said this, I said this years ago, you know, I burnt my my Nikes in like 2011 or something like that on video and it's called uh, Daddy Boston Winner. And, um, um, so, you know, uh, with our, and, and, and I think the core solution to all this was build economics. And I think that's the same solution, uh, for the right is, um, build your educational institutions, um, and stop depending on the left. Or if we're talking about black people, stop depending on white people to educate your children. And then, and then, uh, create your own businesses to support your own family, your own farming, your own food sources, so on and so forth. And that was my reaction to it. And the less reaction to that was, well, white supremacy is still going to exist. Da, 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 da. We have to deconstruct the patriarchy and deconstruct the system of white supremacy. And I'm just like, no, nah, that's not exactly a solution. So their response to me was to call me Hotep. And I'm like, you can't be a Hotep. It means like peace. And we use it as a greeting. Um, or an exit, you know, like, you know, good night. Um, and, uh, you know, after, you know, a thousand people calling me Hotep, I was like, fine, screw it. We're Hoteps now. Like, so it went from, um, you know, a greeting to a noun, uh, they're using it as a pejorative, but we grabbed the term and exalted it to give it a better meaning. Um, and then, uh, I would, at that time I was going through a very deep spiritual awakening and I was speaking or tweeting, uh, straight from my soul. And so somebody, uh, said, what are you, some type of Hotep Jesus? And I was just like, oh, that, it's kind of got a ring to it. You know what I am. And then that's where we are now. It's bold to take the name Jesus, and make it your own. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, you have to enter into action with boldness. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of negative that can come along with, uh, taking on a name like Jesus. But, uh, if you believe in yourself, you believe in your mission and you, uh, practice, um, subconscious conditioning, um, you know, such as, um, uh, what is it that uh, Napoleon Hill teaches? I forget. Uh, auto suggestion. You practice yeah. auto suggestion. You know uh, the negative ramifications uh, that come along with these things don't apply to you because <laughs> you, you're not thinking about them. They apply to everybody else, but they don't apply to me. Um, and uh, I've embraced the name Jesus. Um, and I love the story of Jesus. I'm not Christian anymore. I don't identify as Christian, although I was raised Catholic and confirmed Catholic. Um, but um, I, it's not any diss to Christians. It's not any diss to Jesus. I'm not trying to replace Jesus. Um, but I think it's the fact that, um, uh, you know, uh, the guy's name wasn't even Jesus. Right? <laughs> 
so it's like, you know, it's also pointing out people's ignorance because when people say, Hey, um, you know, you're using this name, Jesus. And I was all like, Jesus, um, technically was also, uh, another name for Joseph. And then we can get into the whole thing about the letter J didn't exist and, and whatever have you. But, um, I think the real name was, uh, Yahuwah or Yeshua or yod heh vav which is, uh, Hebrew. God. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, which could also be, um, construed with, uh, the tetragrammaton and there's some mathematical, uh, applications to that name as well. Um, you know, so, uh, th- there's a lot of things I know about the story of Jesus that are not mainstream. So I feel like when it comes to Jesus, I have more, um, intellectual prowess over it than the people who covet him. So you, you touched on something earlier, uh, which I think that this audience will really, uh, be interested in, in hearing your thoughts on. So you were talking about Lenin and the central bank. Mm-hmm. We talk about the central bank here all the time. So what do you make of current monetary and fiscal policy, the behavior of the central banks? And is it a, is it a train that's out of control or something that can be stopped? <laughs> is it a train that's out of control and can it be stopped? Um, I mean, there's, 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 it's hard, there's hard to stop printing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, 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 uh, two responses to that, right? There's an optimistic one and there's a pessimistic one. Um, I'm, I'm a realist, so I'm going to go ahead and say it's not going to be stopped. Um, I mean, you can't even stop the left from criticizing you for identifying as just male and female. So how are you going to stop this huge system of central banking when you can't even handle these pussy hat wearing people. Right. So it, 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 it also, you know, like the central bank is probably the foremost uh, problem in America. And yep. the conversation is never there. The conversation is always redirected to something else that's lower down the totem pole of the power structure. So uh, until people can, stay focused and say, Hey, let's, let's, you know, let's, let's focus on this beast here and let's do something about this. I don't see that happening. I mean, um, people don't understand what money is. People don't, uh, study economics. Um, so you're dealing with, I think, I think what the powers that be do a, a great job of is keeping people dumb. So when you're dealing with the dumb population, it's easy to control. And, you know, I'd say like 80% of the population is just really stupid. Even the ones that are so-called educated, uh, we call them paper on the wall Negroes, um, you know, and they got their college degrees there. And to me, I hear them talk and I'm just like here, like uh, Charlie Brown, wah, 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 wah. there's no substance at all. Um, so, you know, unless you can figure out a way to uh, massively educate the public, uh, the uh, Fed will always exist. But I'm not, to be honest with you, I, I don't see, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not too concerned with how the Fed operates. I mean, this, this system, I have a new book coming out too, where I actually go into uh, the relationship between the state and the money men. And um, this isn't actually new. Uh, this goes back to, I want to say in my studies, like 15th century, um, I mean, the dawn of the stock exchange starts at, I want to say, the uh, 17th or 16th century. Um, 
and you know the printing of banknotes um uh um um uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, stock jobbing. <laughs> stock jobbing was a practice for a really long while and manipulating money has been around, I want to say, since the ter- 13th century. Um, so this isn't a new thing. Uh, I just think fractional reserve banking might be new as far as the last 200 years are concerned. I know the French bank pretty much took power in 1913. Um, but uh, when you have people who believe in a state, that's what you get, you know? You know, and then when you mentioned, hey, look like, you know, you should check out this thing called anarchism. Um, people have been perfectly um, made ignorant to what anarchy is or could be. So therefore, uh, they, they are status. And if you're a status, then central bank is what you're going to get. <laughs> Right. You talk about people don't understand what money is. And basically, you're saying that if you're a status, you don't question your money because you trust your government inherently and therefore you trust the money. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're trusting these elected officials to uh, make um, decisions on on your behalf. Um, But these people are in the pockets of corporations which again goes back to the relationship of the trader with the king. So it's like, who are, who is your real, who is your real, who should you pay attention to more? Should you pay attention to the politicians or should you pay attention to the corporations if the corporations are the one that's funding your state? So I think people need to pay attention to how the corporations and the banks work and, and, and direct their focus at them and, and ignore the state completely. Um, I think that if people um, had more control over their ego, um, the state would become obsolete. The state only exists because people don't know how to act. Talk about anarchy then. What does it mean to you when you state that it's not probably what everybody's common perception of is? Because obviously that's a triggering word for most people, right? You hear anarchy and you picture people running around lighting fires and shooting guns in the air or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. They, they've done a great job of making anarchy become synonymous with chaos. Um, but in depending on what dictionary you check, um, it actually could be defined as uh, a utopian society. Um, but I think what it really means is just uh, the lack of existence of the state. Uh, I think to get a better understanding of this, you should probably check out Michael Malice. You should probably check out Rothbard and the Mises Institute. You know, I'm followed by the Mises Institute. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm an expert, you know, I'm, I'm new to this concept of anarchy because I was one of those people who were brainwashed before when I saw the word anarchy, I was just like, Oh no, what are you talking about? You know, like we need this state until somebody was like, Hey, check this out. And I read it and I'm like, Oh, Oh, I get it now. I I totally get it. Um, But I think that goes back to me being an open-minded person where if you're ready to present me some information, I'll take a look at it, you know? Um, But I had never understood um, the relationship between the people and the state. I mean, I think uh, anarchy is on kind of the same trajectory as atheist, right? Like when I was young and atheists, like people, it was, it was a word that was just looked down on and people thought you were nuts. And I kind of came to that conclusion in my life, you know, on my own. And I think that it was a misconstrued word and it's largely ends up people who, uh, 
you know, think critically about their environment and come to a decision whether other people agree with that or not. And anarchy, as I've understood it, as you did, described it kind of has the same negative connotation, but the reality of what people think it is, is not what it could ideally be. Uh, but, but I think the question then becomes, what does a world with no state look like? How does yeah. it function? Yeah. I, I, yeah. So I want to, um, touch on, um, you said, uh, uh, what is that thing called where you don't believe in God again? Atheism. I yeah. mean, some people would, there's agnostic, you know, some people are agnostic, some people are atheists, some people, whatever. Yeah. I would, I would say that that concept today is much more widely accepted in the United States than anarchy is. Uh, and yeah, I think that's my that, point. Yeah. And yeah. I think that, um, atheism, um, was pushed by, uh, the, the ruling class because, a large part of culture is your belief in a higher power. Um, and I think that when people don't have something to believe in higher than themselves, you start to get a uh, lack of control over the ego. Um, but let's answer your question, right? Like what does it look like without the state? Um, I don't know. Right. That, that's 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 what I would have to first and foremost say how it could operate um, would be um, small citadels and regions and villages and cities that operate how people choose to uh, live their lives. You know, so if uh, we want to have our own coin or currency, we'll trade, you know, grass or cows or whatever it is. Um, if we want to practice an LGBT lifestyle, you know, we'll do that. If we want to practice, you know, uh, guns and, you know, whatever, we should be able to do that. I think it's just uh, everybody needs to be able to um, live under their own terms. And if you don't like how things are where you live, then you have the option to move where things more closely align with your values and, and what you want in life. I mean, that sounds like the ideal situation. If it was like that, I mean, I have to think that largely, at least initially, the reality would be a lot more tribalism and war and infighting. And, you know, they have water. We don't They have this. We don't, you know what I mean? Because obviously it's hard without some sort of centralized uh, authority to distribute, you know, goods and resources and things like that. Not saying it can't be done. It was done in the past. Um, but you know, I, I also, I mean, I, I despise the government and politics, you know what I mean? But I don't know if I can go 180 degrees the other direction either, where it's back to like Mad Max and gas town <laughs> and Watertown. you know? So I, I don't know what the in-between is. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it would look like Mad Max. Um, I think I think we 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 fail to give people credit uh, for being uh, naturally good. Uh, I think I think it's the interference of this state that makes people naturally bad. Now, um, you know, when you say distribution of resources, the government does a very poor job of distribution of resources. Like yeah. Eric July would say, "Fuck them hoe ass roads." I mean, if you allowed people to um, police themselves and manage themselves, I think the roads would be in much better condition. I think the That's water sure. supply would be in much better condition. Um, you know, I think that if we allowed people to to live without restrictions of some sort of overlord or state people would live much better. Now there is going to be uh, a fight 
potentially over resources, you know, your side has, yes. you know, more water. And not, but I also think that you have to look at the converse where it says there may be an increased uh, opportunity for cooperation, whereas the state often restricts cooperation. Uh, you need a license to do this. You know, like I have to pay $30,000 to get hire an attorney just to open up a, a Bitcoin exchange. Right. And, and, yeah. and that's at the low end. Right. And, and the bulk of that money is to get licensed in New York city. So th- those types of things are what make people angry. You know, when Tanisha wants to open up her hair salon, but she has to get a license to do so, um, to do hair, <laughs> you know, it's, um, it, it, it becomes really, it, you're stopping people's upward mobility. Um, I think without those communist restrictions, I think we have a happier society. It just people want to live how they want to live. The government just is, even like you look at police, like police aren't here to protect us. They're here to police us and protect property. Uh, they're here to protect the corporations. They're not exactly here to protect people. You know, when you ride down the road, you're not looking at an officer and saying, oh, cool, I feel safe. You're saying, oh, let me check my speed limit to make sure I don't get a ticket, right? That the police are, are, are actually an oppressive uh, entity and they're an extension of the state. They're agents of the state. I think we remove some of these things and we turn to uh, your own private police force. The police will actually be there to protect you and not and not ticket you. And um, th- I think people will be a lot happier without the existence of the state. Or do you think that people should fear corporations more than they fear the state then? No. No, no, no. Uh, the corporations are uh, the state empowers corporations. You know, they call it crony capitalism. I call crony capitalism exploitation of socialist systems. Uh, the corporations say, hey, look, all right, um, I have the capital to make X, Y, and Z happen. Now, if there are no restrictions, uh, there's going to be an increase in competition. So how do I destroy competition? Well, let me lobby in Congress to create restrictions so that the little guy can't compete with me, right? And and, and that's what uh, corporations do. They use the state to to hold people down. It's it's not the, the corporations without the state um, wouldn't have as much power. Roundthex.com is one of my favorite companies in the entire crypto space. What they do is take all your small purchases and round them up to the nearest dollar and invest that spare change into any of over 30 crypto assets of your choice. They integrate with your favorite exchanges so that you can view various exchange balances all in one dashboard and round up into different assets all at the same time. And they do all this without ever holding any of your Bitcoin. This is by far the best way to dollar cost average into Bitcoin. Go to roundthex.com and use the promo code WOLF for $4 in free Bitcoin after making your first roundup or purchase. That's R-O-U-N-D-L-Y-X.com and code WOLF for $4 in free Bitcoin. Diginex is making huge moves and is soon to be the first crypto exchange listed on the NASDAQ. This means that people will finally be able to invest on a platform they're comfortable with without being directly exposed to Bitcoin. Absolutely massive for mainstream adoption. Diginex has basically everything investors need under a single roof, including an institutional-grade exchange called Equus. Equus allows institutional and retail investors alike access to an exchange that's on par with platforms they've come to trust in other markets. This means they are compliant with regulation, transparent and fair with regards to fees and orders, secure and far ahead of the curve in regards to innovation. Go to equus.com wolf to get 5% off trading fees. 
That's E-Q-U-O-S dot com slash W-O-L-F to get 5% off of your trading fees. Sign up now. Unless you've been living under a rock, you've heard about the DeFi craze in crypto. By far the safest and simplest way to passively earn in the space is to hold your coins on Celsius. You can earn your rewards in the same crypto you're holding, or you can earn even more in their sell token. Right now, I choose to earn 5% on Ethereum in Ethereum and 15% on my stable coins in sell token. It's a little bit better than the sub 1% interest rates you can earn in a legacy bank account. Celsius was founded with the belief that crypto is the opportunity to really shake up the financial system. They're changing the standards for all financial services. They share 80% of their revenue in the form of weekly reward payments. That's how their users are earning up to 15% APY with compounding rewards. They also commit to providing the lowest cost loans on the market. Their loans start at just 1% APR. For just 1% interest, you can borrow cash against your crypto and avoid selling, which also eliminates the taxable event. It's absolutely huge. High rewards on your holdings and low interest on loans on a platform whose mission you can believe in. Celsius is giving $20 to every new user that joins with promo code WOLF. Just enter the code in the app during registration. $20 is awarded after 30 days of maintaining a wallet balance of $200 or more. Visit celsius.network, that's C-E-L-S-I-U-S dot network, and use promo code WOLF, W-O-L-F. So to, the, to that end, we fear the corporations because they're using the state to oppress people. Right. right. So the, right. Uh, that's kind of what I was getting at. So how do you escape from this system? We talk about taking the red pill. I want to talk about Bitcoin, how you discovered Bitcoin and what its role is in separating yourself from, from these entities. Yeah, uh, I don't have too much interest in separating from the system. I think um, I'm more concerned with mastering the system. I think it's a, a very brilliant game uh, that was created by the money men. And, and the game is basically designed for the intelligent. Uh, it's not racist. It's, I don't think it's classist. Uh, I don't know what the word is, but there's probably a word for this. This is brainist, right? It's like, we're going to separate the intellectual from the stupid. We're going to separate the unambitious from the ambitious. So, you know, when we look at, you know, Wall Street, people would look at it as an oppressive uh, entity. And I, in some ways I can agree, but in other ways I'm like, I trade options and I do well trading options, right? And I have a stock portfolio and I do well over there. So I think that the system is set up for the intelligent. You know, if you're going to sit down and take the time to understand this complicated system and its new language, you can do well. So I'm not really too concerned with destroying the system. I think it's more or less mastering the system and then, and then using your mastery to create something that's better to make the old system obsolete. Uh, and then people go, Oh, wait, I kind of like the way they're living over there. Let, let's, 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 let's do it this way. Right. I think that's the problem. People are, are so concerned with destroying the system instead of building a new way, because even if you destroy the system, what's the new way, you know, you don't want to push us back to square zero. That's why I was asking you about what happens after the state, right? It's one thing yeah. to destroy it. It's another thing to have uh, n nothing better to go to. Right. Right. And that's why, you know, like when I say loosely, I'm an anarchist and it's not that I, I want to, uh, get rid of the state, although I'd like to see it disappear, I'm more concerned with what's the better way and building that better way. And then again, making the state obsolete. And that's how you would, you know, dissolve the state is by making uh, that new idea better. Um, as far as Bitcoin is concerned, I knew about Bitcoin pretty much probably right from the start. Um, I made a very foolish decision 
of not owning Bitcoin. I think I actually have some somewhere from back then that I can't <laughs> even find, you know, and I think somebody gave it to me. Um, but I don't know where that is right now. And I wish I did. Um, but anyway, um, uh, my response initially was like, the big banks are going to kill this. Um, I'm not <laughs> interested. Right. And in many ways that's true. But um, I think it was 2017 when it had the the big boom and yep. um, you know, I pay attention to things. So I got in and I made a decent bag. Uh, I remember it was December uh, or, or November and I was hanging out with the family and uh <laughs> And uh, my friend said, yeah, they're talking about this uh, cryptocurrency thing down at the barbershop. Time to sell. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we were talking. He's like, well, what do you think I should do? I was like, ah, oh, just start off like a hundred bucks. He's like, nah, man, I'm trying to get rich. I'm about to go all in. And I think he like took like 20K out of his 401K and the next year it tanked and he was just like sick to his stomach. But meanwhile, I was telling him the whole way, like, don't look at Bitcoin like that. Um, but, you know, I come from a traditional investing background, so I invested in Bitcoin with uh, traditional investing uh, discipline, which is why I knew kind of like what the top was. And then when I saw gains, you know, you see in, in the stock market, like you don't see gains of 100 percent unless you're training like options. Right. You don't see those types of gains. You know, you're happy with. 13%. You're happy it's a 10% with, a year, man. You're going to yeah, be rich. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Rich. So, yeah. So when you see like, so when I saw my portfolio and I should said a thousand percent, I'm like, dude, I already won. So I went to Twitter and I was just like, yo, um, uh, I'm selling and people are like, Oh, you're crazy. It's going to keep going That's up. How I'm you like, know you're right. Yeah. So, you know, when, when they said that, I was like, I really don't care because I come from a traditional background of investing and a thousand percent is unheard of. So I made my bag and if it goes up more, I'll be sick. But at least I know I made money and didn't lose. So a lot of people, you know, lost out because they weren't traditional investors. They were Bitcoin investors and they don't understand investing. You know, I, I studied um, Benjamin Graham, the intelligent investor, really long and boring read, but very insightful. Right. So yeah. yeah, great, great book. Um, and then I had a, a kid that was teaching me the stock market and telling me do's and don'ts and so on and so forth and telling me about index funds and how they work. And um, Ray, Ray Diallo, I think his name is, you know, I studied a little mm -hmm. bit of his stuff. Um, but then, you know, um, I'm looking at Bitcoin now and everybody's like, oh, Bitcoin's going to save the world. And I'm like, I, I got bridges to sell you if you want one. They come in red, white and blue. <laughs> you know, if you think cryptocurrency is going to save the world, you know, you got another thing coming. Um, you know, uh, establishment money is controlling the Bitcoin market right now. If you don't think so, you don't think they've already. Right, Paul, we got guys like Paul Tudor Jones and I mean, co corporations are investing there. Um, you know, they're, they're taking their reserves and buying Bitcoin, which by the way, I, I don't think is a bad thing, but I right. mean, these are the biggest wall street, wall street, wall street, guys you're going to find. So obviously yeah. their money is there. Right. And I, I don't and believe that Bitcoin's going to save the world, but I certainly believe it can save an individual. How? Well, if, I mean, if the other systems fail and they have exposure, I'm not saying they should be all in, but the, mm. the idea that you should have something idiosyncratic, something that, you know, has a different risk pro profile and is uncorrelated that could go up when everything else goes down. I'm not saying that will happen. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying it's a good idea to be exposed to something that can give you that sort of potential. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, I always tell people when investing, you want to diversify your portfolio. That's yeah. very basic. That's yeah, very basic. How do you diversify your portfolio with stocks, bonds, and 
dollars anymore, you know? So it's really hard to find things that I find are truly diverse at this point, you know, and maybe Bitcoin won't be, I don't know, you know, it's shown some correlation, but in general, I think it's the best shot at having something that could, uh, that, that could rise when everything else falls, if that happens. Yeah. I mean, we just saw PayPal, right? Like PayPal is saying yep. next year they're going to integrate uh, and it, and you saw the spike, how the, the market reacted to that. Um, so I think Bitcoin is going to become a norm. Um, but I don't think the establishment is bringing in a Bitcoin uh, as a necessity. I think they're doing it because they want to track you, right? They want, they want to, they want to be able to watch the money better. And that's exactly what the ledger does. It allows them to watch the money better and track everything we do. Um, I mean, Alex Jones has been saying for years that they're going to install a one world digital currency. Yeah. And I'm like, that's exactly what Bitcoin is. It's a one world digital currency. And in many ways I'm like, are we going to get rid of physical money? And I'm just like, ah, I kind of like stuffing, you know, a few, a few bands underneath my, um, underneath my uh, 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 bed, my, my mattress, right? Like, I like having that physical money um, for reasons I don't want to explain right now, right? But- um, I mean, everybody wants to be able to transact privately. Yeah, yeah. Everybody uh, should. Everybody yeah, should. Exactly. Man. You know, when we look at uh, the Greek diners that are owned in New Jersey, um, these people transact in all cash. Um, <laughs> and, and for obvious reasons, you know, because- the IRS sucks, you know? So it's like when we start moving to this digital currency, um, it's good and bad that come along with it. I'm not, I'm not one of those people that's a Bitcoin maximalist. I'm not one of those people that think, Oh my God, Bitcoin's great. I'm one of those people that's like, look, Bitcoin's price is going to go up in the future and I'm hedging my bets. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, the most practical way, is to view it as a great hedge. I mean, that, that's what I see. You're talking about them wanting to adopt Bitcoin to violate privacy, obviously, and to be able to track our transactions. I have a much bigger fear of that with the inevitable digital dollar and digital yuan and central bank digital currencies. I mean, that's yes. like a wet dream for a central bank, right? We've already talked mm-hmm. about all the problems with the central bank. Imagine mm-hmm. when they have perfect control of the money supply. They know where every single penny and dollar is. They want your taxes. It comes directly out of your account, mm-hmm. right? They don't ask what they owe. They take it directly out. They mm-hmm. want to know what you sent to your kid for their birthday. Mm-hmm. They see it, right? So yeah, I mean, I, I think yeah. that's a much bigger threat than even their um, involvement in Bitcoin personally. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what I'd like to see from the Bitcoin community is a lot less of this, um, worship of the cryptocurrencies and more or less paying attention to uh, how the cryptocurrency is being choked. Like I said, you know, I have to pay $30,000 in fees just to open up a Bitcoin exchange. And that's basically goes against everything Bitcoin was supposed to be created for, right? And you're supposed to free the money and we haven't freed the money. We put the money in prison, you know, when SEC gets to like SEC was never supposed to control cryptocurrency. It was never supposed to control Bitcoin, but it does here in America, right? Like there's certain, and that's why like Binance left, right? Like I'm not screw this. I'm out. Right. And I I don't blame nobody, nobody, nobody in crypto wants to touch the United States. Right. So it's like, 
everybody's running around on Bitcoin, Twitter, and like, oh, Bitcoin is Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, and buy Ethereum, da da da. And I'm like, all right, you guys are lauding this thing, and it's fine, you know, whatever. But where is the committee? Where is the legal board that's going to go repeal some of these regulations and say, hey, this goes against the white paper, this goes against everything Satoshi's dreamed of, and and let's tell the SEC, mind your damn business, this isn't for that, right? And and these things. These things are you know, like the SEC is basically anti-constitutional. <laughs> and it's like, where's your legal team to combat this stuff? You know, like it sucks that I go to somebody, they say, oh yeah, I'm a crypto attorney. Okay, cool. And you know, um, I want to open an exchange. Okay, it's going to cost $30,000 to do that. And it's like, well, what are you doing in the meantime as an attorney? Are you fighting the repeals of these regulations? Or are you just studying them so, you, so we can be compliant? And I'd like to see somebody step up and fund some sort of board or committee of attorneys to go fight this stuff. Where are those brave, brave guys doing that? Because right now, Bitcoin's not free, you know, unless you yeah. open up a VPN. Right. I mean, they, they can't control Bitcoin itself, but they can certainly control every on and off ramp and every regulation around it, make it impossible to get to the dollars. And then you can't spend the Bitcoin anyways, because they're going to tax you if you buy coffee and say that you sold your Bitcoin. It's so absurd. And the United States is the worst, but it's interesting. I was on a webinar yesterday with a guy from Nomura, which is like a hundred year old, you know, huge financial institution from Japan. Mm. And we were talking about institutional adoption and these ideas that we were just talking about Wall Street being involved in big money. And his contention basically was like, they don't really want to touch Bitcoin. They just want to be like the picks and shovels guys. They want to control the exchanges. They want yeah. to invest in the companies that we're all going to be using to mm-hmm. transact in Bitcoin or anything Bitcoin based. They don't really need to own it if they own your access to it was basically his point. Yeah. I mean, that goes back to the inception of the money men, right? The, the money men were like, Hey, look, uh, what do you know about issuing bonds? And what do you know about minting money? And then they position themselves as middlemen. And, and that's where the power is. It's about, okay, fine. You want this currency to exist? Cool. But you got to go through me, right? Yeah. And, and these people, these money men who have existed throughout the centuries, these are the same people, the same exact families that were huge in Europe banking are the same ones like, you know, that exist today and the same ones that are, are controlling a lot of the banks today. So, you know, this is a very ancient problem, but they understand money. They, they created this system of money. They created uh, monetary policy. They created modern capitalism. So they're going to have much more mastery over it than the general public or anybody else that thinks that they can outsmart them. And they're going to change the rules whenever they see fit. So obviously they see this thing coming and, and, and I, I personally believe that they created Bitcoin. I, you know, the, the SHA-256 algorithm was created by the NSA. Um, we don't know who Satoshi is. It damn sure ain't that white dude that claims it, it, it's him. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I don't mention his name. Um, but, you know, I, I, I believe that um, it was created by the them. And why do you believe that? Just because it was another way to control money supply? Or, or was it to give us hope so that they could crush it later? I mean, what? <laughs> well, uh, like Alex Jones said, it was the idea of getting people comfortable with moving to a one world digital currency. And then, and then that feeds into the whole one world government thing, right? Because then if you have one currency, that means you need one overarching body 
to create worldwide regulation for this thing. And that's what this creates an excuse for. It's like, well, we have this currency that's being traded across borders. It's like, okay, well, now we have an excuse to create this body to control monetary policy across borders. And then after that, it's just like more of an excuse to open up more NWO type um, entities. Well, all that said, you open a Bitcoin exchange, right? Yes. So why and how? Because I'm no Bible. dummy, you know, I'm, I'm no dummy. Like, if you know something is inevitable, you, you have two options. You either hate it and go against it or you bet on it, right? And I know the public is stupid and I know that Bitcoin is going to be the future. I know that cryptocurrency is going to be future. The end of the new world order, they're going to control all this. Stuff. They have been for centuries. So, you know, you're either going to fight it which is going to be a worthless fight because it's just going to be you alone. It's not like you're going to have the public on your side because they're ignorant and they don't even understand, you know, a lot of these things. So it's just like, you know, I have to think about my family first and foremost. So what am I supposed to tell? I got a daughter on it. I want to tell my daughter that she has to go work for somebody because her daddy believes in this conspiracy of, you know, one world digital currency. So he's like saying, oh no, I'm not going to participate. So my daughter, when I could just say, you know what, it's coming, I'm going to hedge my bets. And at least my daughter doesn't have to work for somebody, right? So it's like, I'm looking out for my damn self and I'm looking out for the people around me. Like, look, this thing is coming. Y'all might want to get in because ain't nobody stopping it. Yeah, I believe that Bitcoin is a, you know, you can't save money anymore, right? Because I mean, it's, it's, it's losing buying power every single day. So right. at the very least, I view Bitcoin as a savings account. I talk about what you're talking about all the time. I just put it aside and my kids can hopefully use it in 30 years. You know what I mean? I have right. a five-year-old and a one-year-old. And to me, that's the best hedge for saving money for them. Yes. Just like you just said. Maybe yeah, buying some it. land. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's another good investment, right? But, you know, I, I have to think about... You have to take very practical approaches. Uh, you know, when you, when, you, when you play the game Monopoly, you don't say, oh, this game is corrupt. I'm not going to participate. You take your $200 when you pass go and free you parking. buy some houses. <laughs> yeah, you take your free parking <laughs> money, right? And, and you play the game to win, you know? And like I said before, I know the game exists. I'm not interested in trying to tear down the system. I'm very interested in mastering the system and showing people, look, they created this game. It's silly. But if you play by the rules, the game's not exactly hard, <laughs> you know? So I'm very obje I'm an objective person. I can look at something and say, yo, this shit is trash, but I'm going to benefit off of it too, right? And, and if there's a personality flow with that, I'll accept that criticism. But again, I refuse to be poor. So what other businesses have you started? I know you've got a few. Yeah. So um, we have coinbitsapp.com. Uh, that is an on-ramp uh, for people who don't want to take the route of uh, getting a wallet, going through the exchanges and learning the finite details. It's, it's a good way to start getting into Bitcoin really fast, right? And um, it's one of the cheapest solutions because we only charge a dollar per transaction. Excuse me. Um, so let me just go ahead and shout out Maher and Youssef, uh, the founders of that company, uh, and thank them for making me a co-founder in that company. And, um, you know, we're, we're close to uh, um, managing uh, almost a million dollars in assets, um, which crazy. is our first uh, huge milestone. Um, then I have um, 
Jiffatize, which is an app uh, that empowers content creators by allowing them to download GIFs and videos directly from the Twitter platform to an iOS device because you're not uh, currently able to do that on an iOS device. Uh, an Android version coming soon. Shout out to my co-founder um, uh, who founded the company, Simone Bees, and made me a co-founder in that company. Um, and then uh, there's Wazo AI. Wazo AI, what we do is uh, camera vision analytics. So anything that passes in front of the camera, we can provide data and analytics um, on that's that. Cool. Yeah. So um, that's a, a software and hardware company because there's a hardware component um, uh, attached to it that we install our software to. And um, we're able to process um, a lot of these functions on the edge. And um and then um, I'm working with uh, another company uh, started by Arlo Bloom AI, where we're um, using AI to blend and create new faces. Deep fakes. Deep fakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sometimes so I look at those things. I'm like, I really just can't tell who it's supposed to be, but some of them are so good. You know, but yeah. 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 But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Deep fakes. So, I, it's so scary, though. It, it is right. So You're not that's gonna be a, able to believe any video that you see ever again when they right. perfect it. Right. So but yeah, again, you might as well be in control of it. Right. <laughs> that, that, that goes back to my point. It's like things are going to happen and you are either going to be a victim of it or you're going to be empowered by it. I don't plan on being a victim. If I know deep fakes are coming, well, look, I'm going to learn how this deep fake stuff works and, and, and I'm going to be able to empower people with the power of deep fakes. And then by being in these industries, I can watch and see what's trending and what's happening and what's coming. And then I can move accordingly so I can be ahead of the curve. So yeah, deep fakes, camera vision, Bitcoin, um, content creation. I want it all. So you're not getting a job. <laughs> uh, you're not going to work job. for someone. You're, you said you don't want your daughter to work for somebody. So what do you say to people who are, you know, quote unquote, wage slaves or people who, you know, have low paying jobs and are in that cycle and can't escape it. Because obviously, I mean, you believe in being an entrepreneur and, and making mm. your own way. Mm -hmm. How can an average person who like needs those needs to pay those bills and needs to make it happen? How can they escape that, you know, that grind? Uh, well, there's two ways, right? One is investing 50% of your income in investments. And after 10 years, you'll be able to retire, you know, uh, based upon some of the calculations I've seen, you can retire in maybe 10 to 20 years, or maybe even 15 with a Walmart salary. <laughs> if you if you uh, live, live lean. Yeah. If you live lean and don't have kids. Right. <laughs> and, and, and yeah. Um, and even if you have kids, I think you can, there's still ways to live lean and still invest um, a, a large portion of your money. But I'm talking about like cashing out a few million at the end of that period. Right. And because of um, compound interest and, and compound gains. Um, the other way is, um, starting up a business, you know, uh, you can do, um, passive income things like starting a blog, starting a YouTube channel. You have a lot of people out here getting, uh, making a lot of money off of YouTube, six figure incomes Crazy. off of YouTube, Easy. Uh, yeah. six figure incomes off of Twitch. Right. And, and that's where the future is going. Like everybody talks about UBI and robots taking jobs and really what's going to happen. I forget who said this was, it's not an original thought of mine. Um, but we've seen it in the movies is where it just comes down to humans entertaining other humans. So entertainment's going to be, uh, it's going to grow. Um, I mean, we're doing it right now, right? Like everybody's got a podcast. Yeah. Everybody's got a stream. Everybody's open up where before this wasn't possible. You had to go through the TV networks and, and the powers that be. 
um, kind of lost where I was, where I was going with this thought. Um, but it's interesting because um, what you just touched on. So you're talking about, you used to have to go through the mainstream outlets if you wanted to have a voice, right? Yeah. You've been on Joe Rogan. Yeah. He's the perfect example of someone who basically extricated himself from that and created his own media empire. Like he cannot be canceled. Yeah. Right. I right. mean, his audience is bigger than some of these networks. So, I mean, yeah. that's what I think a lot of us here are trying to somewhat create our own yeah. lane where yeah, yeah, we yeah. have an audience. Yeah. So getting back to my thought to answer your question, like as far as like entrepreneurship is concerned, I think it first has to come down to uh, the want and desire to be an entrepreneur. And, you know, you can do something as simple as flipping cars, man. You know, you go and get, um, you know, you hit these auctions, you can get like a a really nice car cheap. You know, your friend's a mechanic, he can, you know, fix it up a little bit. And then they got like apps like Carvana where you can sell a car in like 24 hours, right? Yeah. So, you know, you go buy something cheap and then you flip it, right? Like, I think it's called uh, arbitrage, right? So yeah, these dudes are making crazy money on Pokemon cards now, like (laughs) billions. Yeah. Billions. Yeah. So find your lane and hustle. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, there's plenty of ways to, to, to get money, but I think it's about creating many streams of passive income. Uh, you know, I think that you have to start at the bottom when you're not born into wealth. Right. So I think it first starts with like Booker T Washington first says, you know, we got to start with some sort of relevant skill. So whether it's fixing cars, uh, mechanic, engineering, uh, digital marketing, you got to get some sort of skill. So I think what happens is these W2 wage jobs are really what I would call apprenticeship. And then you graduate from that apprenticeship by opening your own business because you're, you're, you're losing money by being at work. Because if you paid more attention to your other streams of income, you would, uh, make way more money than being at these jobs. So I think if you're at a job, you need to be figuring out like, what are some other streams of income? Because if you lose your job, you ain't got nothing coming in, right? right? That's what I'm saying. It has to happen like on the clock. You need to build something on the side and eventually escape it. Or you have to somehow have the capital to do it before you even get stuck in that, you know, on that hamster wheel or whatever. It's interesting. You touched on something, you, you know, Booker T. Washington saying that you need to learn a trade. I think one of the craziest things and one of the biggest issues in this country, and maybe it's purposeful, is that we don't teach financial literacy. Yeah. Like you, you went down the path, you understand compound interest, you understand these things. Why isn't that taught in third grade? Yeah, uh, because the powers that be, um, for example, um, uh, it's the Rockefellers were responsible with turning public education over to uh, the government. So once you have progressives controlling and, and you have the ruling class, I mean, who was it that spoke to, uh, there's a philosopher that was an, um, an assistant to Alexander the Great and Alexander the Great, you know, had these big ideas uh, for his country and uh, for his nation. And he, and he wanted to educate people. And I forget the philosopher that stood next to him, but he said, no, nah, you don't want that. You want a dumb public, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's like religion is the opiate of the mass. I mean, there's th- thousands of quotes about those things about keeping the population obviously in the dark. Yeah, because if people understood financial policy, who's going to come work in your factory? You know, um, I, I did this uh, thought experiment with my children. I pulled up at uh, Chick-fil-A and we bought some Chick-fil-A and um, there was a whole bunch of workers. And I asked my kids, I said, um, why is it that these people work here at Chick-fil-A? Do you think it's a choice? And, and, and they, we went around the car and 
everybody had some really interesting points. Some people said, well, that's what makes them happy. And other ones were like, they don't know any other way. Right. But, um, by keeping those people ignorant, you keep those, those low wage jobs full. Right. And then, and then not only that, it gives you an excuse to create socialist programs because, uh, the living wage is so low, the cost of living is so high that you're going to need some sort of government assistance. So it creates the need for state interference. Um, so, you know, the powers that be are very clever in saying like, why would we educate these people? Um, but again, I think that the onus is on us uh, as influencers to go out and educate people. And some people don't want the education. It's fine. You want to work at, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings your whole life. That's cool. Or you want to spend your money on Jordans instead of taking that same $100 you buy, you spend weekly and putting it in Bitcoin and putting it in the stock market. You know, you're going to have to work the rest of your life, you know, but, um, I think what happens is is um, it puts people in a bubble, right? For example, uh, up until a few years ago, I never even heard the name um, Andrew Breitbart. I had never heard about the publication Breitbart until they did an article on us. And um, you you can you can you can you can very easily be closed off from information by being in these circles, right? Um, for example, if I ask you, have you ever heard of John Henry Clark? No, I have not. Right. So this is one of the first and foremost um, uh, and purveyors of African-American history. Uh, Very important person. But if you're not connected to Hotep Jesus, you're never exposed to that name, which means there's a whole set of historical facts that you would never know about unless you spoke to me. Right. Of course. I mean, history is written by the winners. right? Right. To some degree. I mean, everybody knows that. So there's a whole other history that they certainly never would teach us in school. And you go to a different country and there's a opposite history. I mean, history is almost like arbitrary. It's not fact. Right. Right. So, you know, you never being exposed to me wouldn't get you access to some sort of knowledge. And that's exactly what happens with finance. If you're, if somebody's not exposed to like crypto Wendy, yo, or you or crypto blood or Bitcoin Zay, they would never even know about Bitcoin, right? right. Because all of their friends online are talking about Megan, a stallion NFL NBA. So we're in that bubble of entertainment. And until somebody um, enters that bubble and introduces a new thought, they're never going to be exposed to it. So people are closed off just like rural areas are closed off to um, the rest of us, um, just like information is. It's so true. Yeah. Uh, there's something you said earlier that I really liked. Cause I asked you, how do we change the system? And you said, you don't, you master the system. Yeah. Cause like as a trader, Going back, it just everything you say like reminds me of like I, I can see that you're a very good trader because clearly like you you know you're not emotionally attached to any of it uh, and you see it for for what it is it, but it is really interesting because people always talk about how manipulated Bitcoin is right yeah and I always joke like it's like the least manipulated thing they think manipulation is because some dude with a lot of money can dump on you yeah and control the market yeah to me that's an opportunity to like. Right on that guy's back. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like, like I just want to like the whole point of trading is to just be on the side of the big guy and not be the little one that gets crushed, right? And you've yeah. seen that with Wall Street as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I mean, Wall Street's manipulated. That's like as you talk about crony capitalism, oh, yeah. money pumping. I mean, they they, they 
black boxes. Yeah, I mean, it's like insane. Yeah. Bitcoin isn't. Bitcoin's a free market. People just get mad when they lose and think Mm. that it's been manipulated against them. But I think Mm -hmm. that that's a mentality that people take to everything. Well, again, that goes back to the fact that they don't understand. They've never had any sort of traditional investing training or education, right? Because you can't lose on an investment until you sell. So why'd your dumb ass sell? You should have bought more when it was it's always the bottom though. They always sell at the bottom. It's always the dead bottom. Yeah. It's like the, the greatest tell, you know, when you need to buy something is when you're panicking to get out of it. Yeah. Like I put a bunch of money in Tron. Right. And, um, I'm down on it. Right. But I'm not even thinking about it. Right. I'm just like, I'll just sit on it. And if it comes back, it comes back. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And even when it comes back, I'm probably still going to sit on it until I can just pass it on to my kids because the, you know, the, the amount of money I put into it was nominal. You know, nothing. Well, I mean, that's the key to investing too. Right. It's like the, the, the way to, to detach the emotion is for it not to be like your house payment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You never want to, you know, invest something that oh, I think what's name said is that uh, never invest what you're afraid money to you lose. can't afford to lose. Yeah. yeah. You know, only invest what you can afford to lose. Yeah. It's like never. The most, but, but that doesn't, I mean, that, that is true. And I would definitely advise that, but that also means that like you need to live a life where you can afford to lose a little more because you're not gonna be able yeah. to invest 50% of your salary. If you're like trying to, you know, live like you're in a music video. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, like what, what people can afford to lose is relative to how much they're uh, willing to give up to live that, their lifestyle. It yeah. kind of goes back to what you said before. Yeah. Like I was looking at my friend um, back when ICOs were, you know, everybody was pumping and dumping ICOs Crazy. right? in 2017. And, um, you know, we had a talk and I was interested. I was like, oh, wow. I see you making all this money, you know, pumping up in ICOs. And she's like, yeah, how are you doing it? I'm like, oh, I'm investing long-term. She's like, you're holding. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. She's like, nah, you got to get these ICOs. And lo and behold, a few months later, she's like, I'm never going to do this again. That's like, how much money I lost. <laughs> it's like, you gave them back those gains. And this is somebody who didn't have. Now today she teaches the same long-term investing strategy I was telling her about in 2017. Yeah. Right. So when she told me about what she was doing in ICOs and I learned about uh, that pump and dump ICOs, I was like, ah, I don't think I'm going to touch this. this is, you know, this doesn't seem like the type of thing for me. I'm just going to pick something because uh, I think Warren Buffett said, um, you know, uh, never buy a security that you're not willing to hold for 10 years, you know? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I bought Twitter stock five years ago and you know, she still, still got it. You know, I'm not he also said that the market, market is a mechanism for transferring the wealth uh, from the inpatient to the patient, right? Yes. Um, yeah. Smart guy. And he only yeah. buys things that give yield and, uh, you know, and uh, can compound his, his gains. Yeah. Smart guy knows what he's doing. I oh, would yeah. say. Yeah. I mean, the ICO thing and all this DeFi and all this, I mean, people are getting really rich, but it's like one in a thousand people. Someone always gets left holding the bag. Right. And I literally, I was on a live stream yesterday and we were looking at the Bitcoin chart and I counted it back because I was looking at the monthly chart and seeing that price has very rarely been above where it is today. Even though we all remember 20,000, it was 10,000 to 20,000 and back in one month. Right. So it wasn't, there's only been 46 days in the history of Bitcoin in 11 years where it's ever traded higher than the price today. So if you were an investor and a dollar cost averager or any of the conservative investing strategies that people talk about, mm-hmm. there's only 46 times that you could have bought ever where you would be down. Yeah. And, and that would only be if you never bought more 
mm-hmm. when it drops. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everybody, um, I wouldn't say everybody, but I have a large set of users who joined CoinBits app um, early on and they post, you know, screenshots. And this one guy was like, yo, uh, my CoinBits app is, is outperforming my 401k. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't even look at my stuff. I mean, I trade like whatever, but like my, my like IRAs and stuff, I just, it's on autopilot and I don't even, I'll check it once a year and make sure nothing really garbage happened. But I check my Bitcoin portfolio every single day. Do you? Okay. Yeah. I don't check I'm any trading, of my, you know what I mean? I Respect, don't check. Yeah. The, only, the only thing I check is uh, the price of gold. I and why is that? Because I play options on it. Oh, you play options on gold. Mm-hmm. And what do you think right now? Um, I'm I'm in it. I I missed the last in. Um, I played Nugget N U G T, um, which is a a, a fund, and it, it's quite volatile. Um, and I want to say maybe two weeks ago, um, it, it hit like. $82 or something like that. And I'm like, Ooh, I should get in. Cause it's probably going to spike to 90. And, um, I felt myself FOMO. So I have a rule. If I feel FOMO, yeah, I don't, no, I don't, bet. don't do it. Yep. So, um, I didn't, but lo and behold, it happened. It went up to 94 and I'm like, Oh, I just missed like 10 K right there. Yeah, right? Nine times out of 10, it goes to 72. And you're like, <laughs> what did I do? Man? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we all know. Like you remember the ones you miss, but you don't give yourself much credit for the ones where you like decided not to do it. And it goes the other way, man. So listen, mm-hmm. I know we're up against it here with time. Uh, where can everybody follow you? Keep up with you after this. Yeah, I would go to uh, briansharp.co, B-R-Y-A-N-S-H-A-R-P-E.co. Get on my email list. I have a daily email newsletter that gives you all the updates about my life. Um, I give tips uh, on how to maneuver this thing we call life on various subjects, including um, uh, and mainly entrepreneurship. I think that's really useful, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. I've been following you for a long time and uh, definitely, man, you're, you're as unique as they come. So it's good to get it. We'll have to do this, do this again. It's, it's rare that you meet someone who's actually willing to say the things that, that you do or have the perspectives that you do. So whether people it. agree or don't agree, it's nice <laughs> to see someone speak their mind for sure. So thank you very much. Thank you, man. Great interview.